You may be seated. Except for any member that served in the military. Can you guys stand? Anybody that's ever been in the military before? On this Memorial Day, I'd like to thank you for your service and thank you for fighting for our freedom. God bless you. We're going to get the word out one way or another. I'll just scream. There we go. Now it's coming. All right. But anyway, this book has been spot on on every single, whether it was a holiday, what's going on in the world, the book has been spot on on where we're at. And today is no exception. For Veterans Day, for thinking about our freedom of why we have it, uh, we're going to find out, I'm going to share a scripture with you today that I don't think I've ever shared with you before. And it's one that goes right along with what, what we have today with Memorial Day. Um, Wednesday night, class 6.30. Thursday night, ladies journaling, 7 p.m. Continue to pray for the flock. We have a lot of people who have been, been sick, been ill, who've, who've got things going on, and, and they need our prayers um, we was praying this morning for some. The Berean chapters are those chapters that I'm going to touch on that if you want to take a picture or write them down and, and study them this week, it'll give you a, a better understanding of what's going on. And uh, Brother Leroy asked me for a prayer request this morning. My grandson's a little boy, or girl. She was jumping on a trampoline and flipped over backwards broke her right leg in two places. And we got to pray that she's not going to have pins and all that stuff in her life. And how old is she? She's two to four years old. I don't know where. Okay. So as we get ready to prepare for the Word of God and for this, uh, this Memorial Day celebration that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who fights for us and, and our officer. Yes, ma'am. We'll be in prayer for that. 
So let's have that moment of silent prayer to prepare our hearts and our minds for the Word of God and for our worship this day to Him. And then we'll pray and, and I'll include those in our prayer. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And Father, you've heard prayer requests all morning. Now we've had a couple more from Brenda Seasting and for Leroy's little granddaughter. We pray, Father, in each one of those cases and each one of the cases that has been presented this week and also for everyone who is here that has a prayer request that they haven't mentioned you know it's in their heart. You know it's in their mind. And so, Father, we offer that prayer request up as the body of Christ for, for all of those who have those prayer requests as well. Father, we just pray for a healing hand. We pray for your touch to be upon them. We pray, Father, for your guidance for the caregivers and for those who are taking care of them. Whatever doctor it is, whatever nurse, whatever application and role that there is we pray that you are guiding them and that you're taking care of them and that it is you who is pushing the hand and and the thoughts that are behind the process father all the way down I always like to mention all the way down to the people who clean the rooms they they father are some of the most important ones because without a clean room without a clean utensils infections can set in and that's some of the most dangerous things so father we're so thankful for the ones who even are taking care of that, may they do it in your name and as unto you, Lord. And everything that we do and everything that we say, may it be as unto you. And may that apply to us as well as we sit here to worship you this day. Father, as our country celebrates Memorial Day weekend, on the first day of the week, we celebrate Memorial Day every Sunday. When we get together to worship you, to pray and to sing praises to you, and to be able to study and have fellowship with you in your holy word. We also, Father, meet for the explicit purpose of doing this in remembrance of me, as Jesus said, and that's the Lord's Supper. He is our Savior. He is our warrior. And he left behind those emblems so that we, do this in remembrance of him every week for what he's done for us, Father. And so as we get ready to open up your holy and divine word, we're going to see Jesus on every page. In the Old Testament, he's on every page, and we've seen him every week throughout Zechariah. And I pray, Father, that this day you will bless the message out of Zechariah 14. I pray that your word will be holy and powerful and I pray that it will not only exalt you and glorify you for who you are, Father, as the God of this universe, but that it also helps to encourage us, to embolden us, to, to give us a firm foundation of faith to stand upon because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so, Father, we pray that this word today will give us faith and strength as we go out into this world, and we ask this all, Father, in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Amen. Go ahead and turn to Zechariah 14 if you would. And it's great to see each and every one of you out this day. And with. Oh, yeah, man. Are we upstairs or back? Kids. <laughs> Boy, I, I seen fear on their eyes because they're like, we got to sit here through this? He's like, come on, all the kids who want to go to, to the Bible class to Sunday school, come on, come on back to the back. They've got some good stuff planned for you guys. Last week, I think it was John, I don't see John over here, but he, he, was, he was looking at, he, he said, where'd you get them? And, and no, it was, was it Roy, I don't know. Some, somebody told me, he said, them was snacks for the, for the class, yeah. And uh, he said, well, if I knew there were snacks like that, I'd go back there instead of set up there and listen to you. <laughs> well, well, praise God. If you want to go on back and have some snacks and do that, then, then uh, that's, that's good because you're still going to get the Word of God there too. But wow, what an amazing book Zachariah has been. And I thought this was going to be the last lesson in it. But I'm only getting through five verses. So I still got at least another week in Zechariah for y'all. But what a tremendous book and chapter that this is. Leading up right now, the foretelling of the future of mankind and the grand climax of history is what we're getting ready to have. In chapter 12, it began all of this with the vision of that good shepherd. If you'll remember and recall that, it, it told... The message that Jesus is the shepherd. He is our shepherd that, that we shall not want. But this good shepherd was rejected. And so with that rejection and of the good shepherd, then the two staffs of the, the rod and staff, the two staffs of the shepherd was broken, that, that grace and unity. And he, he made a promise. He said, you're going to reject me who is the true one, the true shepherd, the good shepherd. But there's going to come a time when a false shepherd's going to come, a foolish one, and you're going to fall for him and for his smooth talks and all of the things that he's doing, and you will fall into that and you will believe him even though you have not believed in me. And then we saw after that in, in chapter 13, we saw that, that though they're going to see him who they have pierced that fountain of, of living waters is going to be opened up. That salvation is going to be offered. And they're going to end up in the last time seeing Jesus. And they're going to believe on him. And then he's going to come and fight for them. And that's where we're at right now in Zechariah 14. because, And we're even going to see it in this chapter. The way that the Hebrew writing style is. And the way that we have to understand how things are. It's not that God repeats himself. But, but the way their minds think is very unique. They're different from us. We like to go linear. I mean, we like to go one, two, three, four, five. And, and, but they don't do that. They'll go like one and then three, four, because that's something else. But then they'll come back and give you the fuller view with two and five afterwards to fill in the summary of the things. It's almost like when you, when you get to read a book... Donnie said a couple weeks ago that he has to finish a book if he starts it, no matter what, right? Well, how about this? I, I was listening to a guy who said what he likes to do, he read all kinds of books, and what he would do is he would read the first chapter to get kind of the outline and the plot of what's going on, and then he'll go back and read the last chapter. 
to see how it ends. And once to, instead of like waiting all the way through and wondering how's this going to end, how, what's it, he says, I read the first chapter and get the plot. I read the last chapter and I see how it ends so that I can enjoy the details that are all in the middle of it leading up to it. I thought, wow, I've never thought like that. Then he said, that's how the Hebrew mindset is. He liked, they like to give you the plot of the story, the end of the story, and then God comes back and fills you in with all of the details of it so we can enjoy it. And he's already given us a little bit of the plot line. Now we're going to get a little bit of the details coming in and we can enjoy it on, on what's getting ready to happen. So in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 1, we're going to pick it up right here with the battle that's getting ready to unfold in all of the glorious majesty of Christ. And Zechariah 14.1 begins with a military word. Ten, hut! Man, all of you former military guys, you're out of training. <laughs> what would happen if they come walking in and someone saw the commanding officer walk in, someone's going to holler, tent hunt, and everybody's standing up at attention. <laughs> I'm that way too. I, I'm out of that stuff, man. That was, that was a long time ago, 1979. But anyway, this begins with behold, which is the word tent hut. In other words, listen. Stand at attention, listen, because I got something really important that I'm getting ready to talk to you about. Why? What is it? Oh, look, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and the spoils of Jerusalem shall be divided in the midst of thee. Man, the day of the Lord is coming. That's why he's saying, Behold, listen up. I'm getting ready to tell you some good stuff about what's going to happen. And here's the... Here's the the good thing, we don't know when this is all going to happen, right? It, it, the, the workings of this could be in process now, and we could, we could all get ready for this at any time. So, so this is really some exciting stuff. The great and coming day of the Lord that's getting ready to take place. Uh, and through all of that, there's going to be a time of Jacob's trouble, as it's called in the book of Jeremiah chapter 30. It's the great tribulation. And it says here that the day of the Lord, though the day, is going to be coming. Just like D-Day, this is the day. And the spoil is going to be divided in your midst whenever they come around and they gather around. Now, that's kind of odd, isn't it? Because in the old world, and in even today, whenever, whenever the battle takes place and there's going to be the spoil, they always loaded that stuff up. They took the spoil and they loaded it up and they carried it back home. And in those days, they would make a grand tour through there. They would have a parade. What do we have whenever we won World War II and everything? You have a parade and the confetti's going up. And they come through and they show you all of the spoils of war that, ever, that they took and captured from there. And everyone's celebrating. Well, here it says, no, they're not doing that. They're going to... Take the spoils as they start going in and they're going to divide it right there in Jerusalem and in the houses. And you say, why is that? There's got to be a reason. Well, that reason is, it's because they have no fear. They think they've won the battle and that there's no reason to be afraid that somebody's going to come and try to attack me now while we're celebrating this war and in this spoil. We can go ahead and do it because we've won the victory. It's all over. 
Everything's done. There is no danger here. So we can just sit here and count our spoil right as we're getting ready to do it. And so that's what's going on. But they've got another thing coming. In verse 2, the Lord says, I. So who's going to be, be reeling these guys in? The Lord. The Lord's reeling them all in. And he says, I'm going to gather how many nations again, does it say up there? Wait a minute. How many nations are coming against Jerusalem? We saw that in the last chapter too, didn't we? And again, it's all. And why? Because the only ones left are the ones that want to come against that. We talked about that last week. They, they're all, they've all gave in to the mark of the beast and that worship system. And they're all in with what's coming against Jerusalem. And I'm going to show you why. That you and I are not there in just a minute. But all of the gathering of the nations from their evil lusts. Being led by the influences of the demons from hell and the devil himself. Are now encircled around Jerusalem from the battle. From east, west, north and south. They're all there. And the Lord's going to use this beast system. And the dragon to get the nations all worked up together against Jerusalem. And to do his will. Now. Why is Satan so intent on doing this? Why are they going to celebrate so quickly that they think that they've won the victory and, and just give, divvy out the spoils right there in the middle of it? It's because if Satan wins and there is no Jerusalem and it's, it's annihilated, the Lord's made a promise that it will still be there and that they will worship there and it will not be removed out of its place at that time. If they win the victory and that happens, they're going to say God is no longer God because we have overcoming. His word is no longer true because now there's a lie found in it and we have won the victory and we don't have to go meet our final destination. And that is why they are so hot on getting this battle won and why they're always going against the Jews in Jerusalem in that effect. So they're saying, we've got, the, we've got it won. God's no longer God. So this beast system is pouring it on, trying to, to accomplish this. And in Revelation 16, 9, all of this stuff is getting ready to talk about what we're seeing in Zechariah. And by the time we end, I hope you see the synergy in the Word of God and how that it is true that, that this is one book written by one author, God, from beginning to end, and all of it meets together in the middle. And it says this in Revelation 16, 9, that as the fourth angel pours out his vial upon the sun, it was given to him to scorch men on earth with fire. I wrote a little note this morning on there as I was going through it. Global warming. Everybody around the world and all these leaders are gathering together about global warming, aren't they? And our carbon footprint. If you've seen anything about what's been going on over there in Sweden or whatever, they're all talking about we give up too much of this. You know why? Because in that final times as it comes, things are going to get hot. So they're wanting to slow down the process of God's judgment. And the only way that they know how 
And that is the things that they think from their little minds that is causing this warming is to slow that down so that it doesn't happen, so that this does not happen. But the Lord God says that He's doing it and He's given power unto His angel. He's angel number four in this one and He's pouring out the vial on the sun. There's, there is no way that mankind can control the destiny of this planet. It's God's planet. It's His creation. We can make life a little better for ourselves if we have clean water and those kind of things, yes. But God is in ultimate control of what goes on in this planet. And it says that this fourth angel is going to pour out some kind of vial on the sun that will scorch men on the earth with fire. And the men were scorched with great heat. Did they repent and say, Lord, forgive us, and we now believe in you as the all-powerful God of creation? No, they don't. It says here, and I have never been able to figure this out why they do it, but as they're facing all of this stuff, they still continue to blaspheme the name of God, which had the power over these plagues. The God of heaven who could rescind during a repentance, and they will not do that. Yet these folks, it says, would not repent and give glory to God. So now a fifth angel appears with this fifth vial of, of the things of God. And it says that he pours it upon the seat. Now that's the headquarters. That would be the headquarters, the, the people who are in command and charge of this attack. And the kingdom was full of darkness. We're going to get into that the next time. And the pain of the scorching heat was so intense that they gnawed on their tongues. Mark that for next week. Because of the pain. Yet they continued to use these same tongues to blaspheme the God of heaven. The God who could have stopped their pain and suffering. They refused to repent of their deeds. They continued to curse God because of the sores that were being brought upon them. And then, oh my goodness, we got verse 12 coming up. Here comes the deceit. Satan has to keep them going during all of this and keep them involved with him. And that he has some power too. So in verse 12, as the sixth angel poured out his vial on the great river Euphrates, you see, because God is the one gathering them all together. So he's pouring out the vial on the great river Euphrates. And the water dried up so that, why? There was a purpose. So that the kings of the east, that their way to get to Jerusalem with all of their stuff could be made so that they can gather together in this siege. So now the great river is drying up. Then in verse 13, John says, man, I see something strange. <laughs> And no, I've not, it's early in the morning, it's not anything like you're thinking, but what I saw was out of the mouths of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, I saw three unclean spirits, looking like frogs come out of their mouth. These are the spirits of the devils, it says in verse 14. The spirits of the devils, and they were given to them the power to work miracles. And they go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them together for the battle of that great day of Almighty. So now they're, it's about like back there with Pharaoh in Egypt whenever it was like Moses would do something and Pharaoh would look at his magicians and say, what do you got? And they would try to duplicate it. 
Finally, they get to the point to where they go. We can't touch that one. That was the hand of God that, that did that. But here, he's trying to work some miracles, trying to do some things. Why? To keep people believing that he has the power and he's using that power to deceive them and to keep them following him. But it says that those who are doing it, the, the ones who are the representatives on earth, the one who will be the beast, the one who will be the false prophet and such, behind them is these evil spirits, these demonic beings who are the ones who are influencing them, who they are filled with instead of us who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what is happening together them together. You see what it says in verse 14. These spirits of the devils were working miracles with the kings of the earth to gather them together in that great battle of the day of the Almighty God. That's God Almighty El Shaddai. And that's what he's revealing to us what we're getting ready to see here with Zechariah. All the nations of the world are gathered against Jerusalem for that day. And this is what it looks like. Evil men driven by the evil unclean spirits that will do the things that motivates them to do their will. And you know what happens? Look back at Zechariah 14 now. As we flip back, the world's forces are going to take charge of that city, it says. And they're going to be in dividing the spoil in the midst of them. And all the nations are gathered together for that great day of battle. And in verse 2, it goes on to say that at that time, the houses will be rifled. That means to steal, to go through the houses piece by piece, through this room, through that room, through your garage, through your attic, through everything that you have. They're going to rifle through the house to be able to plunder and to steal. What did Jesus say that the devil comes to do? That's right. Kill, steal, and destroy. And that is what we are seeing right here by these who are motivated by that. They're going to be stealing. They're going to come in. Just think if this was your house. I want you to start getting that mindset right now. Because this, this is gathered together against Jerusalem. But this is also the method of operation of, of any evil government or entity or any of these different things that come into power. If they, if they get controlled by the forces of darkness instead of the forces of light and the word of God, this is the same MO that happens every time. These troops are going to come in and enter into the houses and go through all of the belongings and plunder it and steal it and take them and divvy it up. But then it says this. The next verse says that as they're going through the city and rifling the houses and dividing the spoil, that it says that they're going to be raping and ravishing all of the women folks and half of the city is taken into captivity. That's the other MO. Now I want to ask all you men something. I don't see anywhere here any defenses being put up, is it? It almost looks like there's been some kind of total surrender and that they're able to just come in and plunder your house and, and violate all of your women folk. If you had the chance and if you're alive, are you going to let that happen? Huh? No. 
do you think they don't have anything to protect themselves with? I want to put that thought in your head. Because if you have nothing to protect yourself with, then they can overrun and ride in and hold you down or do whatever to you while they do what they want to do. So don't ever give up your right to protect yourself. Because this is the M.O. of the evil ones whenever they come in. And they will do this. You go look at history. And every communistic dictatorship takeover that's ever happened in this world. They've done this same thing. And they, they do the same thing to our women folks. And it is not nice what they do. And I'm just telling you that we've got to put ourselves in these places. Because it's not only in this section of scripture. It's happened over and over in all of the nations of the world as it goes on. Then in verse 3, it says, after they, they come in, as you see, before all of this, they had promised peace, didn't they? Because the covenant is going to be made with many, and they're all saying, peace, peace, everything's peace, and, and you don't have to worry about no more. And now, whenever you get more than halfway through this thing, there is no more peace. Power is given unto men, remember when them horses start riding, to take away peace. And then to, to take away all of your peace and to begin killing and, and rifling through. So at verse 3 at this point, when it seems like the, it, there's nothing left, man, they're, they're counting the spoil, they're having their way. Then it says that the Lord Jesus Christ goes forth to fight against those nations. Amen, right? Praise God. It says, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. He's going to personally intervene in the situations to protect you when there had been no protection because of what has been done. So he comes in to intervene and to protect. And it says, just like he did in the day of battle. I could go with five or six. We could be here for an hour and a half. Because I could go through five or six or seven of the times that the Lord intervened in those days of battle. And what he did. What about Joshua Jericho? I mean, look at when the walls fell down and what happened there. Look at Gideon. We talked about him a little bit last week. We got all of these times that the Lord fought for him. But the, the first biggie. And the one that's most notable in my mind is what? David Goliath, yes, that was a big one. That was a big guy that he went up against. But I'm thinking of Exodus. That was a good one. But I'm thinking of Exodus. You remember whenever the, the children of Israel were making their exodus or their exit out of there. And the Lord told them, go camp by Pihai Haroth over there by, in between Migdal and them. And when, he, when the Lord put them there, we, we've went over this before. But there's a lot of folks who weren't there then. That when, the, when they exited and the Lord said camp here. Where the Lord had directed them was a mountain range on this side. A mountain range on that side. And the Red Sea right there. And, and there was, it was a funnel to the Red Sea. And there was only one way in and out. And the Lord had let them in. But now guess who was barreling down upon them. Pharaoh and all those Egyptians and them horses and them chariots. Why? He changed his mind. And he said, I'm not going to let them go. I'm going to enslave them back again. Why did I even do that? 
And here he comes, and the dust is rolling from the chariots, and the horses are coming, and the eyes of them are filled with vengeance that they're going to come and get them. And everybody starts hitting the panic button and losing control. And what are we going to do? And Moses, was there not enough graves over there in Egypt that you brought us out here just to have this slaughter? And the Lord gives Moses the word to say, tell them to stand still. Relax. Quit freaking out. Just relax for a minute because I'm your God. And I led you here for a purpose. Wherever you're at right now, you were led here for a purpose. Even though it seems like everything's frantic and going on, I want to show you my glory. And I want to show the world my glory through what I'm going to do. So you hang tight. And this is the day he said, you stand still and watch for the Lord will fight for you. And that pillar of smoke and fire that had led them to where they're at jumps over the top of them and stands in place between God's people and the enemy. And he protects them. And then the verses say that the nostrils of God began to blow. And with a, I'm not going to do this too much because I, I don't got a Kleenex up here. <laughs> says God took his nostrils and went, I'm going to use my mouth, out through his nostrils and the waters parted and it not only parted it said it stacked them up it stacked them up and then it says that the ground was dry and they walked over while the lord's nostrils kept that parted and blowing up and stacked up high and then once they had made it across then that pillar of fire of the lord that that firewall of protection and wall of fire moved back to where they were and opened up the way. But for a little bit, that nose was still blowing that way. And what did Pharaoh and the Egyptians say? They are going for it, right? Let's go get them. You know what I'd have said? I'd have said, now think about it. If you're in that position, you're there all night with, with a pillar of fire that came around and has got you blocked off. And all of a sudden, the Red Sea is stacked up, and they walk across on dry land. Do you think I'm going across? Not on your life. That's a powerful God that's doing that kind of stuff. I'm letting these cats go, and we'll fight another day. But I am not going to go and face that kind of a God. They didn't do that. Because they're still motivated by the wrong spirit. And that spirit's saying, we're going to go get them. And we're going to go against that. And it ain't going to happen to us. And so they start going out there. And then the scripture says that the Lord's nostrils blew the other way. And it all piled in upon them. And now they got ready to sing a song in Exodus 15. And that's one of your brilliant chapters. I want you to read the whole thing. I'm going to read half of it to you. But during this, I want to share with you a scripture that I've never shared with you before. And just think, it's Memorial Day and we're talking about the soldiers and stuff that's kept us free too. Who's really kept us free? The Lord God who has protected us. And it says here in Exodus 15 verse 3, The Lord is a man of war and the Lord is his name. The Lord is a man of war. Outside of here, do you ever hear that taught very much? <laughs> no? Most of the time, and I used to turn on those channels and, and watch them because I wanted to try to find something good instead of some just show out there. 
And most of the time, they'd be talking about a Mamby, Pamby, Marvin, Milk Toast, Jesus, and all the pictures that they put up is that he's all emasculated. And our Lord was a strong man. He was a carpenter. He was a worker. He was able to lift things and to build and to do. And he is a man of war. And he was strong. It's nothing like we've been taught. He is the one who says, I will go and fight for you. And that's the kind of God we got. That's the kind of God that's getting ready to to enter the war in Zechariah 14. But I want to read what the description by the song of Miriam and the song of Moses as they were celebrating on that other side when just as the Lord said, take a look as they come crossing over because those Egyptians that you see this day, you will see never again, no more. You will never more see them again because the Lord is fighting for you. Now listen to this, this is beautiful. The Lord is my strength. Who is the Lord, the one that's fighting for me? This should be our song. We, we should put this up on the refrigerator. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. And I will prepare him a habitation. That means I want him living with me. I'm going to prepare him in my heart and in my house as a habitation. He was my father's God and he is my God. And I will exalt him in the Lord is a man of war. Oh, the Lord is his name. And now in verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his host, he cast them into the sea. He, those chosen captains of Pharaoh that was leading the charge, they also drowned in the Red Sea. The depths covered them over and they sank to the bottom like a stone. The right hand of the God, O oh Lord, has become... Now, I want you to listen as the Word of God describes what God did at the Red Sea to the enemy. The right hand, thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, dashed into pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, boy, the Lord did that and it's being described as the glorious power of God put on display and the greatness of His excellency, the righteousness that He had in, in battling evil. Thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. When the nations rise up against Jerusalem or against America or against you and I in our rights, who are they really rising up against? God. They're really rising up against God. God's the one who gave these freedoms. God's the one who said, thou shalt not steal, right? And what are they doing? Going right into the houses and doing it. So you're not only going against the people, but ultimately they're going against the principles of God when they make these things. And it says, thou when they rose against thee, you sent forth thy wrath and consumed them as stubble. And here's the part I like that I explained to you. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright as a heap. 
And the depths were congealed. That means became dry and solid ground. And then in the heart of the sea, that should have took years to dry out from that. And the enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoil. Circle that if you got your Bible open. What are they getting ready to do in Zechariah 14 verse 1? They're going to divide the spoil in the midst of the camp. Man, this is one book. One author. All the way through. And look at the eyes. Satan had five eye wills in Isaiah 14 in his fall. I will be like God. I will put my kingdom on the north side. I will. And here these enemies said, I will pursue. I will overtake. And I will divide the spoil. My lust will be satisfied upon them. And I will draw my sword. My hand will destroy them. But thou, O God, you did blow with thy wind. And the sea covered them. And they sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O God? Among all of the little g gods there is none. Who is like thee? Glorious in holiness. You see, that was holiness on what he did in fighting evil. And fearful in praises, doing your wonders. Thou stretchest out thy right hand, and the earth swallowed them up. But yet thou, in thy mercy, led forth your people, which thou hast redeemed, and guided them in the strength unto thy holy habitation. Folks, you have to fight against evil God fights daily against evil you have to stand against it or the world will end because man left to their own devices will destroy each other so then what's it going to look like in that great day in Zechariah 14 when it says that the great day of the Lord is coming and he's talking about those nations gathered together and dividing the spoil, having their way with the women folks and getting ready to do all of that. It says in verse 3, Then shall the Lord go forth against those nations just like he did in the day of battle. Just like he did in Exodus. Just like he did in Joshua. Just like he did in Samuel against Goliath. The Lord is going to go forth. And he will be the one who fought in the battle for them. And you know what it's going to look like? He's going to come down and it says. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Which is in front of Jerusalem. And I had erased this. I was thinking about doing it next week. I'm going to get up here for sound effects. But you got to think about this. I, I don't have this. Paula, this is off the cuff. You don't have to be thinking, am I, am I on the wrong slide? Acts chapter 1. The Lord is talking to His disciples, and what did He tell them? He said, I'm going to leave you here to be witnesses of My Word unto all the people. You're going to start here, and you're going to go to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world with My message. And then it says, as he was telling them this, they asked him a question. Are you at this time going to restore the power and the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you all to know the seasons and the times that's in the Lord's hand that the Lord God has chosen to do for us. But he will come. You are to be my witnesses. Let God worry about when he's going to take care of that. And then it says that... Jesus began rising. He ascended 
up into heaven through the clouds and they watched as he ascended and went out of sight and then sneaked up behind them like little ninjas was these two angels in white. And they said, oh, you men of Galilee, why are you looking up there into heaven? Because that same Jesus who you just saw ascend, he's going to what? In what way? In like manner as you have just seen him go. And Zechariah 14, and then right there in verse 4, his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. And he's going to come back. And then feet are going to hit the ground at the Mount of Olives. And you know what's going to happen when he comes back in the like manner as he went in that great day. It says there's going to be a huge earthquake. It's going to be bigger than it was in the days of the king whenever you had to flee before. It, you've got to get out of here in Isaiah the king. You will, I will make a valley that you will escape from. But in the same way that you saw him go, we are, he's coming back and we are seeing that picture right here. He's coming back to that same Mount of Olives that he ascended from. Because it says in Acts, if you continue reading in chapter 1, when it says he's going to, to come in the same way he went, it says, then the disciples departed from the Mount of Olives and went on into Jerusalem. So he rose on the Mount of Olives. He's coming back in that day to that same place to enact the judgment. And here we're getting ready for that end of the times. By the way. I may show this the next time. Do you know what is on top of the Mount of Olives right now? It's a building called the Church of the Ascension. They, they built a monument there for his ascending. And it's called the Church of the Ascension. And one day. Right where he ascended. Those feet are coming down. When he comes back again. To protect Israel and to save the world from what's going on. So then, in that day, he will, the, the Mount of Olives will split in the midst thereof, one to the east and one to the west. The valley will run. The mountain will split half of it to the north, it says, and half of it to the south with the huge valley that runs in quick. And then it says, in that day, and it's reflecting right back to verse 1, we started with, in that day, that what's going to happen. And it's still that day. Oh I can't wait to tell you about this day. Because it's one long day. If you, if you sneak ahead in Zechariah 14. You'll see that, there, that there's going to be some cosmic changes taking place. And that there's not going to be any night at that time. But anyway it's going to be one long day. And his feet will stand upon the Mount of Olives as it splits in half. And then verse 5 says that all of the believers now that, that are seeing the Lord fighting for them and coming back and they're seeing the one whom they have pierced, they're going to, to plead saying, I believe that fountain of faith is now opened up from the blood of the Lamb that was shed from the foundation of the world. And now they are believers that's going to flee to the valley of the mountains and it's going to reach and it tells where all the reach is and just I want you to know it's huge it goes from one one sea to another and then it says and look at the end of verse 5 and the Lord my God I love that 
You know, there's a lot of people like, like Saul, when he would talk to Samuel, he would say, pray to the Lord your God for me. Well, folks, we all got to have our own relationship with the Lord God. He didn't have that, and that was his problem. But you see, as Zechariah is writing, he says, and the Lord my God, the Lord my God is going to come, but who's coming with him? Who? How many saints? All right. Think about that for a minute. Think about that. At this point, we're still at the end of that tribulation point. All the saints are with who? The Lord, aren't they? I don't know what time all the saints got to be with the Lord. But right now, they are with the Lord. My question is, who are the saints? You know, there's some folks that, that have special categories for saints, and they put people into sainthoods and, and mark them up as all of that. I want to know who the saints are. Is that me, or is it leaving me out, right? Don't you want to know who the saints are? Well, let's take a look at what the Word of God says, because I'm not going to buy anyone else's opinion. Since God's saying it's the saints, I want to know what God says who the saints are. Through the Old Testament... And through the New Testament, the believers in God are called saints. Hagios. It means set apart. Sanctified. Why are we set apart? Because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And that fountain that flowed freely from Emmanuel's veins. And when we have been washed and sanctified and set apart, that's the word saint. You've become now a saint. Look at how it's used in context in the Word of God. One that's not on there, Romans 1.7. To all who are in Rome, as Paul is writing, he says, to all who are in Rome, who are beloved of God, called to be saints. Those who are beloved of God and who have believed, you've been called to be set apart, to be a saint. And then in Acts 9 as it's talking, it says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your who? In Jerusalem. Who's that? It's believers, isn't it? It was those who was believing in Jerusalem whenever the Lord was crucified and died and Paul stood, or Peter stood up there in Acts chapter 2 and gave that first gospel sermon and, and he said, come on, I'm going to end it with that so I'm not going to preach it right now. But he said, come on down, folks, if you believe, if your heart's been pricked. And it says that I heard what harm this man, Saul of Tarsus, has done to your saints in Jerusalem. As Peter was traveling through all of those regions in, verse, in Acts 9 as well, he came down also to the who? Saints who lived in Lydia. And what about just as I did in Jerusalem? Not only, here's Paul talking about when he was Saul of Tarsus and persecuting Christians. He says, not only did I lock up many of the saints into prisons. So speaking scripturally, Saints are the body of Christ. They're Christians. They're people who have been believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he says, I'm writing unto the church of God, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So the church, those in Christ, and saints are all the same person. Us. So that means us. 
So now, when I look back up there and it says, The Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee, where am I going to be? <laughs> Praise God. So isn't this exciting? Aren't you glad to now be hearing what your role is going to be in this if you're a believer in Christ Jesus? I don't know what time, when all of this is going to take place, but I know it happens before this very end in Zechariah. I know at what point we go to the wedding feast and get our garments to get ready to come back with him because it says he's going to come back in that like manner. He's going to land on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split in half. And let me tell you, that's still a future event. That has not happened as of yet. The mountain's still standing there. It's not split. So this is still a future event. And that means all of us are going to come and get it. But when? What time? Well, look at Revelation 19. This is preparing us for when that event happens. It leads right into it. And again, so this is one author, isn't it? From front to back. And it says here in, in verse 7 that the bride, the church, be, you be glad and rejoice and give honor to the Lord God because the marriage of the Lamb has come. And His supper, the wedding feast in heaven. And it says we, the church, have made ourselves ready. How's that? Because we've been washed. We've been cleansed. We've been sanctified. We've been set apart. We're believers in Christ. And so He is with us and we have said I do to Him and His invitation. We are it says then, at that point, we are handed what in verse 8? Our fine linen. He says, now it was granted unto her, us, the church, those in Christ. It, the one who is ready for the wedding feast. It was granted her to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For this fine linen is the righteousness of who? Saints. Again. So, you see, the saints are right here getting linen, right? And Zechariah said that when the Lord comes back, who's coming back with him? All the... Well, here we're getting ready because now we have the marriage feast. We get our clean linen. And he says, blessed unto they who have been called unto this marriage feast of the Lamb of God. And then uh, these things are true, faithful sayings of God. So folks, don't take my word for it. This ain't my word. This is the word of God that's speaking every single bit of this. And in just a couple verses later in verse 11. It says that once we got those fine linens. The righteousness of the saints and we're getting ready. It says I saw heaven opened. Behold a white horse. Whew! Here we go. Behold the white horse. And him that sat upon him. And he was called what? Yes. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful true. And in righteousness, what is he getting ready to do? In righteousness, he's going to do what? What did we see today in, Rev in Exodus 15, 3, that new scripture? The Lord is a man of war and the Lord is his name. The Lord is getting ready in righteousness to make war and to judge. He's preparing for that great war that we just saw in Zechariah 14. His eyes, verse 12, are like flames of fire. On his head is the many crowns, the true crowns. And then it says that he had a name written that nobody knew, no one but himself. You know what that name is? No, I don't either. <laughs> only he knows. Man, I was trying to trick you. He said, only he knows. 
And, but he himself, and he was clothed in a vesture, dipped in blood. And his name, I don't know if this is the same name or if this is another one, because he's going to have another name in a minute, so he might have three of them. But this name is uh, the, the one, I lost my place, the Word of God. Yeah, His name is called the Word of God, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Well, who's that? That's us, because what did we just get back here in a couple verses ago? Fine garments, clean and white, was handed to us, and we, were, we put them on, and then we see the Lord getting on his white horse, and now who's getting on white horses too? We are. Isn't that something? Man, he says, we get on these white horses, and then out of his mouth goes the sharp sword. It's like in battle whenever, whenever the captain, the general goes, let's go into the battle. And he leads with his sword, with his weapon, and he takes off on that. And we get ready to go. And then it says, he's going to do what? To those who are in the siege there at Jerusalem, he's getting ready to smite those nations. The nations who it said there was gathered around together against them. He's going to smite the nations that are gathered there. He's going to rule them now with his rod of iron as he takes the rule. And this will be that millennium rule of the kingdom. And then those feet that had been nailed scarred. Is going to land on that Mount of Olives. But when they land they're going to be transformed into another look. Revelation 1 said that his feet. Looked like fine brass. And the word for that is like the brass that has been in the fire so it glows. And so he's got feet who has been in the fire of the justice and the righteousness of God. That is coming now to squash all of the nations like grapes at the harvest. And to put them into the wine vat of the, the justice and righteousness of God. And to stamp on them like grapes and the 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 uh, blood will run down it says in the wine press of the fierceness of the wrath of almighty God and then verse 16 here's his army patch I say that because it's an army if you was in something else you can say it was one of your patches but here's the patch of the, the Lord for his army that he's got on and now what's his patch say on it you know some says like uh, infantry or navy seals or one of those What's his patch say? That means he's got the authority, doesn't he? <clears throat> he's got the authority to do what he wants to do because he's king of any of the kings. He's lord over any of the other lords. And so now all the fowls of the land are gathered together to the supper of the great God. I'm going to pause for a moment. Because if you haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and that you're not one of his saints then that means you're still in the foe of the enemy. And there's going to be two suppers, just like we have two choices. The one choice is, is to be the wedding feast of the Lord, or the other choice is to be like these guys are going to be against the, the feast of the great supper of God. And verse 18 says, He calls the buzzards down and the fowls of the air that they might eat the flesh of the kings and the captains, and those that are the mighty men that are sitting there. I don't want to be in that feast. I want to be in the Lamb's wedding feast that was prepared for us, right? So there's a feast that's going on. And he's got them all gathered together there. 
And it says in verse 19, The beast and the kings of the earth and all of them are gathered together to make war against him that set upon the horse and against us, his army. But what happens? We're, <coughs> we're, we're riding with the king, aren't we? B.B. King put out a song in the 90s. Now I think it was, You're riding with the king. Well, one day we're going to be riding with the king. On those white horses. And he's coming back. And I ain't going to be afraid when these guys gather themselves together against my Lord and his army. Because the Lord's going to put them out. Look at verse 20. And the Lord, he just takes the beast and the false prophet. And those that wrought all the miracles to get everyone to follow them. And to take the mark of the beast so that they all worshipped him. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant, the armies that was gathered, were all slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, and which sword had proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls of the air filled themselves with their flesh. Praise God. In that day, Zechariah 14.1, in that day, the day of the Lord. So as our praise team comes on back and returns, and we get ready to close this out, I'm so excited. Because Zechariah 14.5 says that I'm going to be with him. That when the Lord comes at that time with all of his saints with him, I will be there. And I'm excited to do that. I'm excited to go to that wedding feast. I'm excited to get that new robe. I'm excited to get on them white horses and ride with the king behind him as he comes in that great day. If you say, how do I become a saint? I told you I was going to end with this in Acts chapter 2. Everything is right there for us. I go to this one a lot because this is my standard one. This, this was preached the first day of the church when it was established. So it's good every day that the church is gathered together. In verse 37, when they had heard the word of God, it says they were pricked in their hearts. Just as we've been today, we've heard the word. And they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. With many other words did he testify and exhort to them, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward, this corrupt generation. And then, those who would gladly receive his word, they were baptized that same day. See, all you have to do is hear the word and believe. You don't have to go through classes. You don't have to ask anyone's permission. When Paul did it, he said, I didn't consult with flesh and blood. I just obeyed the word of God. It says that same day, praise God, I put, I'm glad he put that there so that we don't have to wonder how long I got to wait. He said that same day, there were added unto them 3,000 souls. So when they heard, they believed, they obeyed that same day. That same day, the Lord added 3,000 souls to the saints. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking bread and and prayer and the fear came upon every soul. 
And the things that were done. And they all believed together. They had all things in common. They sold their goods and possessions. Parted into those in need. And then they continued daily with one accord in the temple. Breaking bread from house to house. And they ate their meat with gladness and signalness with heart. And look at verse 47. They praised God. They had favor with all the people. And the, who adds them to the church? Lord. That same day, where it says 3,000 were added, they were praising God, having favor with the people. And every day, all day, as they were teaching these things, the Lord would add to the church daily such as were being saved. Those are the saints. That's us. And all it says in this section is, what's the state of your heart? Is it pricked? The question then from that pricked heart, what must I do to be saved? The answer, repent and be baptized every one of you by the authority of Christ for the remission of your sins. What do I get? You get salvation, forgiveness of sins, and the Holy Spirit of God is your seal of redemption that he now identifies you as his saint and you've been set apart. It gives you that seal. Then it gives you uh, salvation from this degenerate generation. And praise God, he himself lovingly adds you to his body, the church, the saints. I pray that if you're here this day and you need to respond to that same call that they did, that you will. We've got water ready, we've got clothes ready, we've got towels so that you don't leave wet. But if your heart's pricked, we've just saw the answer to that question. But to those who are set apart, to those who are saints, to those who have done that, aren't you glad that we see that our Lord is a man of war and that we're going to follow Him one day and that we're going to all be with Him together when He comes riding into town? Amen. Praise God and Father. I'm going to take a breath for a minute. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word each and every week. It not only shows us who and what you are, the great God, who wrote it from, from Genesis 1 to Revelation, that you are the God of the universe. It's one message. Jesus told those ones who continued to harass him and argue with him and test him. He said, you guys look on that Old Testament scriptures. You search the scriptures every day thinking that you might find life in them. And indeed you will if you'll see me on every page. And Father, we've saw through every page, yea, almost every verse of Zechariah, we've saw Jesus Christ. We saw today what a glorious Lord He is. And how that He is quick to guard and quick to save those who are in need. And Father, we have the confidence now to face anything that this world tries to throw at us. Because we rely on You. And we ask humbly for Your wall of fire and protection around us as we go. And as we continue this life. And search for the next one when we will ride with you. Thank you for this confirmation in your word. In the name of our Lord Jesus we pray and ask these things. Amen.
was never